This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Dr. Tony, great to have you here at Aston Villa. Aston Villa have been in, in a low moment in recent years. Is your ambition to get back to the Premier League, first of all? Yes, and the yes. And what would you say your long-term aim for Aston Villa is? The greatest club in the world, a club taking the leadership of the modern new age. Uh, maybe more than that. The club won the Champions League in 1982. Is winning it again an ambition for you? Why not? Maybe again and again. Fantastic. And this club is big in Asia, but I know you expect it to be even bigger in the future. Do you want it to be the biggest club in Asia? I'm sure it will be the biggest in Asia and also, I hope, the biggest and the greatest in the world. Do you presume to criticize the great Oz? You ungrateful creatures think yourselves lucky. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great Oz has spoken. Who are you? Oh, I, I, I am the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. You are? Uh, I yes. don't believe you. No, I'm afraid it's true. There's no other wizard except me. You humbug! Yes, it's exactly so. I'm a humbug. Oh, you're a very bad man. Oh, no, my dear. I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. football club where the football association in the premier league guarantees fan representation or just anybody rocks up that's got money and buys a club it could be a fucking absolute lunatic but buys your football club and runs them into the ground (laughs) 
Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast show. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me, we're not quite at the funeral of Aston Villa, but uh, <laughs> we're on the way. It's uh, Dan Rogers of the TheVillaUnderground.com. Welcome. Hello, all. I should be on the beach tweeting transfer rumours. I'm not happy. <laughs> I'm not happy about this at all. We recorded a show shortly before the, the playoff final. Remember that? <laughs> and the intro to that is 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 the mood. Let's say is very different. Uh, I'll I'll just play a little bit just to uh, give you a hint of the show you would have got. Uh, and joining me this week, Dan Rogers from thevillaunderground.com. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. We're going to Wembley. The outcome is assured. Premier League is back. We're going to crush Fulham into dust. Beyond dust, it would be like a universe-level implosion down to a speck. Their small prawn, prawn-munching, paper-clapper-waving, Jack Will-sponsored, Pim-sipping, Southern Softy. <laughs> <laughs> Lager top. Michael Jackson statue <laughs> loving. Mother. We're coming. We're, we're coming, coming for you. We're coming for you. No, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. We are. We're gonna roll those bloody prawn munching, <laughs> pink shirt tucking, <laughs> loafer, squirrel stroking, liberal, <laughs> green party voting, hummus and avocado smashed toast for breakfast, granola loving, Marks and Spencer smothering, living with their mothers, potato <laughs> fritter abstainers. Sorry, we're we're the team with the potato head as, as the manager. We can't let them win, David. Oh, come, oh, come on, they're not even no, a prop, I... they're not a proper football club. <sighs> they play football from a cottage, for God's sake, a cottage. The good thing about the Villa kit this season <laughs> is, if you own the home and away kit, you can turn up on the day wearing the home kit. Everything's good. <laughs> and if we lose, you can switch to the black kit for the uh, for the, the journey back home for the wake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway that was a different time i mean that was only what was it like two weeks ago but it feels like 10 years ago yeah it's a short time in the villaverse isn't it i mean we'll talk about that again quickly just to get it mm. out of the way so we can actually talk about it in the context of what happened next when you're watching that game in the first 45 minutes where it was like there was an electrical fence on the halfway line and some of the players didn't dare go across it if you needed so desperately to win that game and we know that Steve Bruce, Keith Weiner, Steve Round, Tony Jai who was there all knew what was at stake. I mean they all knew uh, the accounts, the wages they were playing, the fact they had no money. I mean they would have known that uh, before the playoffs kicked off obviously so that could explain uh, the caution against Middlesbrough but you get to that final 45 minutes do absolutely nothing and during a whole game 20 minutes of it you play 10 men you don't even force one corner do you think they were just just frightened because of the consequences oh the 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 first half against fulham it it was shades of the chelsea 2000 cup final i think we froze yeah that that was the yeah it was terrifying to watch because within about 10 or 15 minutes i you know you get the whole you get wrapped up in the atmosphere of wembley and and the, the occasion and and then it started to dawn a bit for me that we by by half time I was I was quite worried and then you start trying to convince yourself that you know what the the gravity and the, the stature of the match obviously but this is before before we were aware as a, as a club and a fan base of the financial problems that yeah. that were simmering under the surface here saying that uh, to caveat that we we always maintained over the last two years of this podcast that it's promotion or failure or failure yeah 
that's the choice here. We, you know, you see some fans saying, well, you know, Bruce has got the team spirit back and, you know, we finished fourth, we come back. It's like, you know, it's, that's, that's not what's at stake here. It's because of the finances, because of what's been spent, you have to go up. It's promotion or bust. And, you know, that's the saying, promotion or bust, but it's also the reality. And uh, it's all well having good team spirit so they can bump into each other on their holidays in Greece as, you know, Chester and Terry did and Grealish mm. uh, bumped into... Just, I mean, it, great have that team, team spirit, but where's that team spirit on the pitch where when Grealish has got the ball running at three or four Fulham defenders, there's nobody running either in, by the side of him or actually running in front. Into, there's so much space there. Nobody's making runs to take any of those players away from out of Grealish's mm. path. And people were like, you know, they were so frustrated. There was a few half-time team talks, put it that mm. way, they could have just taken them out of the crowd and played them uh, to the players. I think it, it will go down as, as one of the more limp Villa displays. And I think that you, it's all the things that you don't want as a fan, really, because it's, it's, a, it's televised, it's a, a big occasion of, uh, and, and a big failure that's visible to a lot of teams. But you, you couldn't say even when, especially when Fulham went down to 10 men, that was the moment where you thought, surely now we will galvanise yeah. something. And it didn't happen. Normally, there's hope. You're 1-0 down. Yeah. You're against 10 men, but you've got 20 minutes in the bank. Now, yeah. if that was Manchester United or Liverpool or Chelsea, you'd be like, no problem, 2-1, 3-1. But because it's Villa and we've seen what happens, and not because it's Villa, sorry, I'd rephrase that, because it's a Bruce-managed Villa. Mm. And we saw against Middlesbrough in the first time we played him when... Atrore got sent off, was it three, four minutes? Mm-hmm. And we, we failed to really impose ourselves and it finished nil-nil. Now, that's, that was that thought was very much in my back of my mind, I have to admit. And Fulham, they basically did to us in that, uh, let's say, that final stretch, uh, what we did to Middlesbrough. It was like uh, a boxer knowing they've won it on points already, so they just need to be smart and uh, box to the end. I, I, we... I mean, I don't want to pick on pick on individuals, and sorry to jump in, but I, I did also think during the game that in some of the games where we managed to grind out victories, individuals played very well. You know, they they maybe it was the team ethic, maybe it was to the game plan, if you like, so you... Your snodgrasses of the of, of the team contributed quite a lot, but fast forward to Fulham, a better footballing team, more organised. Yeah. I thought players like I mean Snodgrass had probably one of his poorer games in a Villa shirt. I thought that Adoma had, was pretty true to form as he's been for the last as he was for six to eight weeks before. And for the Fulham goal, for all the admirers that Hutton has, his positioning was. Up it was there like with... going back to the Premier League performances where he was always ball watching well imagine no if idea. He, uh, Neil Taylor had done that you know I think yeah. that there'd have been a closer examination of, of the goal that, that ultimately cost us really and I don't want to hammer in on one individual because I think that you know for that for that one mistake we, we created nothing either thank you so much ladies and gentlemen hey <laughs> come on you lions we don't need the premiership I don't want to play an opposer ship anyway it's like horrible division full of Judas's Anyway, so, yeah, come on, you lions, man. This is- a lot of people have made this mistake of saying, oh, we're 90 minutes away or one goal away, you know, and everything would have been fine or everything would have been, uh, let's say, swept under the carpet. But, it, mm. it, I mean, it wasn't just that game. It's That game was an epitome of what happened the whole season. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, you're quite right. But let's get on, let's get on to what's happened. Uh, 
which it's kind of been a financial meltdown of massive proportions that has you suddenly thinking the doomsday scenario that you never thought of was like, oh, Leeds will never happen to us. Portsmouth will never happen to us. You know, we'll just go straight back up. You know, people also forget about Blackpool. They were in the Premier League and they, uh, you know, dropped to a massive uh, crisis and they're still fighting that one. And Hull also have had massive problems with their owners. I mean, we we spoke off air and... uh and have done a couple of times since the the news about the the meltdown happened and we take no pleasure in saying that I think we had a we had, we wanted to be optimistic but we were cautious over the last couple of years and concerned about the lack of transparency around the financial situation of the club enough to I wasn't surprised when I heard the news but and, no, and feel free to I. confirm this I was shocked as I think you were as to quite how bad it was yeah, you know, we 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 joke and we have a laugh. You know, we've got a character called Negatron because some of the things that we've said over the years have been <laughs> perceived as scaremongering. Well, it's it's been a degree worse actually. That to find out that the club, I mean, we'll get into the ins and outs in a few minutes, but to find out the club was seven days away from being issued with a winding up notice is an astonishing position to be arrived at. Where you know to to not have two million pounds of liquidity in the club, yeah, um, astonishing, astonishing, and. Um, and embarrassing for hugely embarrassing and for, for an the owner, owner and the CEO. Well, for an owner from a country where face is very, very important, I find it unbelievable, and I refuse to believe he could have been ignorant to what was going on. And I'm and I'm not sure what I'm more concerned about that if he if he was ignorant, that's grossly negligent. If he was aware, he allowed us to get to the that point. Yeah. before doing anything about it. And that says to me that we were on a massive gamble towards the Fulham game. But Remarkable. I mean, if you go back over two years, um, there was a lot of... I mean, I, I wrote uh, two or three articles about various suspicions about the, the actual buying process and who was involved. Mm. And the more you you dug, and obviously there's, you know, there's loads of people out there on Twitter, private detectives, uh, when it comes to Villa... <laughs> digging away but if you you know used a proper filter and got down to the reality and this this Chris Samuelson who considering his previous trying to raise finance for Everton back in 2004 when uh, Keith Wyness was uh, CEO yeah. uh, that I think he was trying to get something like 12.6 million or something and that kind of failed and you know he disappeared off into the sunset then he popped up again in 2010 uh, helping uh, a Russian, let's call him an oligarch, because I can't remember his name, by uh, Reading, and that all went tits up pretty quickly. Yeah. And then suddenly when he popped up, and people were generally, you know, journal- national journalists were generally surprised that he was, uh, let's say, allowed to lead the bull to the gate on this purchase. So publicly as well. Publicly as well. And, you know, we are talking picture of his name on a villa shirt in the changing room. We, yeah, you know, we're yeah. talking claret and blue tie. We are talking uh, director listed on company's house. Fast forward, you know, he's over in India doing interviews on behalf of Aston Villa where they're, you know, allegedly opening an academy. And then he disappears. And then when Tony's asked about him, uh, Dr. Tony's asked about him, he's he's whitewashed from the history. He didn't didn't really uh, have any part to play, just helped us on a couple of things on uh, the purchase. Why would you go to the extent of making him a director? Why would you have him doing interviews on the club's behalf? I mean, that, that was the first stink that started to mm-hmm. uh, emanate from uh, this kind of setup and then you've obviously got somebody who's admitted uh, that he's he looked at about eight 
Premier League clubs. There was a Chinese company obviously looking at uh, West Brom and probably the one that, and I mean, I'm sure Dr. Tony had a look at it as well, but, you know, he looked at Southampton. Everton, I know for a fact, and that was in the article I've written. I think I'll, if you haven't read it, I'll link it into the uh, the notes of the podcast. And they, they, they were doing their due diligence on Everton and, you know, asking to the extent of trying to get... Uh, allegedly uh, have meetings with MPs there to obviously, uh, you know, hatch plans that permeated, you know, from obviously owning the club and, you know, the the idea of, I think there was the football quarter was something that's... In Liverpool, yeah. Yeah, it's going to link Everton and Liverpool and be the two stadiums and be something you can obviously um, go to on match days and uh, have entertainment and food, et cetera, et cetera. And that was something I know that Dr. Tony was interested in. And then that's obviously... An idea, you know, that goes into his experience of uh, smart cities, and that's something he wanted to be bringing to Birmingham once uh, his interest turned to Villa. So suddenly, you know, you've, you've got somebody who could have bought, and I think they looked at Swansea as well, but could have bought any one of, let's say, eight clubs. And then suddenly, when he arrives at Villa, he's the greatest Villa fan, and they they come up with this cock and bull story about him. Oh, he once uh, saw Villa when he was over here in uh, Oxbridge, and. I saw a TV interview with him and somebody asked him that and he, he was so unsure what to say that, you know, it, it just smelt. But that doesn't matter. I mean, Lerner getting a tattoo on his ankle. They do these things because they know a lot of supporters just take supporting club their club on the face value. They just want to go and watch the game. They want everybody to love the Villa. They want to be told when uh, a player signs that it's a great club, great history, and it's a big club, blah, blah, blah. You know, most people are operating on a low frequency. They're not interested in the club accounts, blah, blah, blah. So they're easy to manipulate in terms of the marketing. I mean, just look at the marketing uh, through social media this this year, and it's it's a bit OTT. Been a bit tryhard. I mean, we've we've been speaking about his Twitter presence uh, since the start, mm. which uh, we knew w- would end him in. Uh, you know, now yeah. look at look at his Twitter now and the kind of responses he gets. Even the sycophants have started to turn on him. And you know, these staged yeah. videos celebrating goals. I mean, we've we've mentioned these before when he's going absolutely crazy because he's acting to a certain extent. And you look around mm. and the people who you know, you know, you like your ex players from the 80s you know ian taylor whatever you know they'll give it a fist pump or whatever as any other fan would be sitting down in in that in that section of the grounds and but you're not jumping up and going crazy and it's almost like this is what they've seen people do when they see adverts of sky tv or whatever yeah, of yeah, like yeah, fans yeah. it's like oh this is yeah. what we're meant to do uh, so we'll do it so you know it's it's copycat behavior and it's it's embarrassing you can smell it when it's genuine i mean most villa fans are born villa fans and our identity with the club is when we're kids well it's no different to the the collymore effect is it you know collymore first and foremost i guess is a fan and yeah has been vocal on this and but finds himself in the pickle, I suppose, of come, <laughs> coming up with the classic right. How many? Let's work out how many Villa fans we've got, and let's times, let's times the debt by by the outstanding balance, and then you you find yourself trolled by the by the former Blues director Pavlakis saying that that his plan was like Baldrick, Baldrick's cunning plan from Blackadder, <laughs> and you think, oh, have we have we really reached the point where where a former Blues director is mocking us? And, you know, obviously Colin Moore's intentions are coming from that place of being a Villa kid, being a, you know, fan of Gary Shaw and obviously having the pleasure of seeing a great team in that day. And that's the thing, you know, these these people just kind of just appear with their money and then pretend to be one of us. It's, you know, don't don't even do that. And the whole Twitter thing, uh, you know, the fans all bought into it. The 
emojis and all that kind of crap and it's kind of fun and people go for the ride but you just know if this goes wrong but you know we would never expected it to go this is so chronically wrong because you didn't because this is meant to be a successful businessman who uh, owns <laughs> four or five companies that uh, work in cahoots with the uh, the government and you know Chinese aren't known to be that reckless sure I mean corruption is obviously uh, an issue there but uh, as as we found out with wolves and how they got around mm. the uh, <laughs> <laughs> allegedly yeah, but I mean it's 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 well documented that take the Chinese dimension that the wolves owner has been spoken to a couple of times yeah, um, back yeah. in his homeland you know that's that's publicly available now Nobody. Yeah, that's sorry. Just that's 2015. I think that was uh, mm. when they were really getting clamping down. Sorry, this is the Chinese government on uh, corruption. And and that that led to. I mean, the the change. The other thing that came in in 2017, which is I think understood to a, to an extent in the in the Twitterverse, if you like, around Chinese capital controls. But if you actually start reading and looking into how that works and this this idea that Tony couldn't get money out of China, well, that, that was for a short period in 2017, you know, that yeah. those rules and those regulations were relaxed. But having a better understanding of how the Chinese government treats individuals, especially those individuals who might be sat on Twitter in the UK saying, well, there's, there's ways of getting around it, and then suddenly they can't. They don't appear to have as much, uh, how should we say, the, the rules are slightly different for them. And I don't think it's any surprise to me that one, uh, the good doctor's Twitter activity has decreased. Yeah. His opinions on it have decreased and his ability to perhaps move money as he as he previously could has uh, apparently evaporated. Just picking up on that Twitter thing. I mean, at, you know, at the start, he's <sighs> he called out... Two years we were talking about this. Yeah, calling out journalists who questioned his position. I mean, I was questioning mm-hmm. his position and he went all funny and unfollowed me. And, and I had actually said, I had no criticism in, in an article I wrote about him saying he's put up the money and he's, you know, he's reinvigorated, say, the energy of uh, the supporters yeah. and their, you know, their interest. And, uh, you know, just the article, I think it was called, you know, what's going wrong at Villa. And, you know, he, he made a big fuss about it. And I think he retweeted it with comments about it. And all his comments were wrong. Mm. And you just thought, what kind of chap is this? And then calling that guy a journalist who basically said, well, you know, I think it was Mike Scott, who used to write mm. for The Guardian and he's written for EPSN and uh, Standard and whatever, you know, whatever. But he just, I mean, he openly mocked uh, Tony and said, oh, if you're, you know, if you're here, still here in two years, which I don't think you will be, uh, you know, hats off to you. And that's when he got called a journalist. And then calling, you know, Ian Holloway a fucked pundit mm. and you know what happened there ian holloway pretty much bang on with his prediction of where villa would finish but you don't expect that from an owner and you don't but you don't expect that from somebody who's going to be a successful and we're talking you know top end uh businessman mm. it just didn't seem right i mean for example you know in my example why why is he so concerned what one blog says about him i mean mm. come on you know, if, if the roles were reversed, I'd just be thinking, well, you know, that, that schmuck's entitled to his opinion, and that's about as far as it goes, even if, you know, that's even if I had, had read it. Well, and, and knowing that as well in the context of actually there were more significant things to be worrying about exactly. behind the scenes. You know, this was against a backdrop of, a, of of Shah saying that, well, there's all that parachute payment money, don't worry about it because we haven't touched it. Well, we didn't have it just before the Fulham game when we needed to pay our tax bill. And this is where things begin to unravel for me that, you know, it's easy to get wrapped up in in news reports and fake news and 
but we, we sat before we, we started this podcast and just started listing things as fact. There's 16 really serious things that we that I man, we managed to put together, weren't there, that, you know, we'll touch upon them across the podcast, we're not going to list them, of chronic financial mismanagement of the club, as, as I would see it, and, I, and I'm willing to stand behind that. And those are all validated, verified facts. There's lots of stuff floating out there that I'm sure is yeah. clickbait rubbish, and I think that most people can see through that. But it's not all it's not all on on the doctor i don't think i think that when you know if we ever do get to learn the truth about the op, you know the operational side from the chief exec whyness you know i think there could be culpability there too but it, it seems to be you know it's the classic things isn't it that you know after the learner regime and all the things they learnt and the austere times that we had from that and this idea under the new under a new chinese owner that we'd you know we'd be ambitious but we'd be responsible and yeah. it, it's it's history repeating itself Ten times worse, and yeah. um, you know, f- for all of the issues we got close to with Lerner, you know, we we never we were never insolvent. Because I mean, talking about Keith Wyness, who's obviously uh, yes, I mean, you, you read uh, some of the uh, Birmingham Mail uh, articles over the last few months, and mm-hmm. they're still making out that uh, Tony appears at most Villa games, and uh, mm. you know, they're still trying to make him out to be this omnipresent uh, owner, which uh, not true. is it's very not true. far from the truth. So that leaves you with Keith Wyness as heading up Operation Aston Villa, mm-hmm. and Keith Wyness is suspended, and you know, you know, over the last week, I've you know, obviously spoken to all kinds of people, from you know, Stan Collymore, to people actually at the club, in let's say, mm-hmm. positions of no and you know also uh you know proper journalists as well from the nationals and you know say people at the club they go into work uh, with winer suspended and it's, you're suddenly in a situation well who's running the show uh who's mm. uh, making the decisions because dr tony uh dr tony will be filling in as ceo dr tony doesn't know that much about football uh obviously learning on the job i mean but let's put it in the context of of the running of the running of a failing company yeah at that as the, well the, you've got You've got a CEO there. You've you've suspended your CEO, and the timeline of particularly the beginning of our problems here is quite interesting to me because though the news broke he was suspended on the day of the 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 tax bill falling due and not being paid, Wyness had been suspended for a few days before that. Yeah. So they kept the lid on that. But the timeline, roll it back. Our, our bill was due the day before the Fulham game, and that tells you the level of gamble. Who was on a plane out of the UK the next day? Yeah. You know. And hasn't been back since. That that's damning for me. And like you say, that it leaves the club irrelevant of what you think of of Zai, rudderless. Um, yeah. When you do become aware that the CEO's gone. Yeah. Well, you know, as I was saying, most there's a commercial director, Luke Horgan, but he, you know, he he's not a football man in terms of uh, no. the day to days. So he can't suddenly like pick up the slack. It's very it's very tricky. Now it's time for Twitter with Tony. April 29th. It's been very intense, hard working, several months, and finally getting days off at Labour Day break. Suddenly, so much missing Villa Park, a place you realise already became your pilgrimage. May 15th. Wembley, here we come. May 26th. Gutted. Sorry for all fans for this difficult moment. Have to stay stronger. Fucking, where's that flight to Beijing? May 29th. Still hurting, albeit from afar. 
felt even more when you realise how much your people love the club, gaffer, the whole squad, including myself. Have given everything, apart from money, but still didn't achieve our target, which to pay a tax bill. Also, very difficult to verify people who sending those bills, showing their real personality. Looking at you, Keith, and humanity, still looking at you, Keith, at this tough moment. June 7th. It has been a very difficult two weeks, as I hinted earlier, I was almost heartbroken by something I've fucking tax bill. Tried my best to keep beloved AV move forward. Thanks for all people standing together, going through difficult time. It was all supporters encouraging words to keep me, us, stronger. July 31st. New sitting with your competition. Visiting times are Tuesday, 9 till 12, just mornings. There'll be high demand, I bet. I'm sharing with Big Keith. Lad's got top bunk. Sorry I can't make any games next season. All lads, hashtag UTV. Word on the street about you know, Dr. Tony is he's, the thing that's upset him the most is, you know, he feels like he's been stabbed in the back by... Uh, not only Winus, but uh, you know potentially other people uh, running Villa. But this just sounds like some you know somebody who's a distant owner, and yeah. it hasn't gone right, and then suddenly he's you know he's trying to throw people under the bus. Well, we have to be careful. I mean, I'm trying to be careful and trying to stick to the facts, and and the facts can move, you know. And I'm trying to stick to what seems to be reported through the national press and through the reputable sources. Yeah. You know, but irrelevant of what you think of Wyness, and I think if we if we look back, I think Wyness Wyness's culpability may may lie in perhaps not standing up to whoever was saying sanctioning the deals and and the viability of them on you know in the event that Villa didn't go up. But at the point at which Villa couldn't pay their bills, it seems that Wyness had to act in his in his capacity to get the club some financing. Yeah, has he probably overstepped the mark? We we don't know. I think that's the where the grey area is. But he'll have had a, he'll have known. You know, the fact that we went with a begging bowl to Burnley, you know, yeah. that's, that's one of the, the fact-checked things. That's one example. You know, he'll have been looking for capital everywhere, won't he? Yeah. And I'm not going to extend into the rumour rumor mill around, you know, looking around for unauthorised sales of the club and stuff, because that, that bit isn't, isn't verified. But I think it's fair to say that he was acting in his duty as the CEO to, to keep the club solvent or take the right advice if we weren't. And, and that's where the uncomfortable discussions around administration come in. Yeah. Because if you can't find the capital, there's only one of the com- outcome. Yeah, and desperate men do desperate things, and it's not necessarily indicative of them as you know being good or bad men. No, it's just the situation not. they find themselves not. in. But the initial uh, issue is is I mean, obviously we're talking about massive debts here, and you're looking at okay, they weren't splashing the cash in the summer on transfer fees, but why are you you paying Terry? Let's be conservative and say fifty thousand a week. Mm. Why? Why are you saying uh, you've just brought brought Elmo <laughs> as a as an extra right sided midfielder to go with uh, Adomar? But then Bruce is thinking, well, I don't really fancy Albert Adomar. We can get Snodgrass. Why you think? Why are you bankrolling that when it's forty thousand? I mean, he's. I think his wages at West Ham were sixty thousand. We paid uh, forty thousand of them. That's a luxury, and that's well, that's like yeah. that was like yeah. a third, you know, right sided player. Suddenly, you know. Why did you get James Brian 
allegedly on 23 grand, it's been reported, and then not only uh, not play him, uh, but then bring in, uh, you know, spend more wages on Axel uh, Zenzibar from Manchester United when Bree, it's, it's, Bree can fill those staggering. positions. It's it just seems... Where... It seems... I, I, think it, it, I think that we just... It's when you're quite right because what you're saying is you're saying it's the cumulative effect of all of these things. Yeah. And when you start to you start to align them against the, the true costs, and these are the, you know, we start to put them against the reported fact fact checked figures. Is that, you know, the bill to HMRC that was due was four point two mil, but we know it's more in the region of twelve mil overall. Yeah. You know, and in terms of you've just been talking about your players, the players, so the McCormacks, the Chesters of this world. We haven't even paid for them yet. We've got eleven million now into Fulham, yeah. West Brom, and and Brentford. How? You know, hang on. Where, where's the rest of the parachute money gone? Even even against a backdrop of generating money. So take the Amavi transfer. You know that that's eight million pounds of cash of which we signed over to an Australian bank to get in advance. The yeah. money had dried up long, long, long ago. And yeah. just to go back to you finally on your point on wages, we were hemorrhaging money at least five million pounds a month deficit at least. And that's and as you say when you who arrived at the decision that I get why you'd want to bring a Terry to the club? Yeah. But then factoring in the luxuries, as you say, where where you've already got players in those positions. You're kind of stockpiling players. So so who's signing yeah. off on this? Because Winus knows about this situation. Obviously, uh, Steve Rounders, Steve Brewster's uh, the chairman as well. So have they got to the point where it's like, well, we're buggered? And I think they knew, they, they knew uh, I'm sure, in January that uh, if they didn't get promoted... The, sh- the shit would hit the fan literally so are they going for the yeah. hail mary basically saying well let's just shit or bust isn't it let's get him in as well because we're up the shit anyway so let's you know let's get this extra lone guy in. let's get grabbing and um to Anzebi. like these you can understand the um grabbing in terms of covering uh codger but yeah. you know there was a yeah. you know there was a, obviously a lap over there but, Especially again, knowing that we've got Hogan, who we still yeah. Th- th- those are the confusing bits, aren't they? And and well, actually, and McCormack, you know, th- these are the these are the glaring financial errors, and you know, chairman can be subject to these things happening to them. You know, for all of you know, just just looking back at Lerner, for instance, that f- for all of the stupid and, and damaging things he did to the club, he put money up. And it was badly spent at times, yeah. you know. And it's that that doesn't just apply to Bruce. You know, Di Matteo was a, a catastrophic mistake. I think when you look at the the overall waste there. And to stop you there for a second, but going back to Lerner, Martin O'Neill had no real mm-hmm. football infrastructure around him, above him. So mm-hmm. it was in Martin we trust. So yes. He just kept buying. But here, we've made a point of getting a director of football in Steve Round. Wyness knows the game, and he's he can obviously run his eye over these things when he's signing off. I mean, you know, he knows what a good deal is. And, you know, I think he used to do deals at Everton where he would try to chop down the basic pay and uh, put it all in bonuses and incentives. Obviously, if you're getting uh, bonus payments, that means good things for the club rather than just having a big 40,000, 60,000 wage. Because, you know, Hogan allegedly 40,000. I mean, we do, you know, we've been doing the Scott Hogan touch counts and part of the reason of that, it's not to mock the player. It's which how little he's been used. It's it's just remarkable. Why did they buy him? A because he plays in a certain way, and if he's been getting eight, nine, you know, twelve touches, yeah. and he's getting paid forty grand. I mean, I, I was on Talksport uh, the other day, and I said, you know, forty thousand for like, you know, let's say ten, ten, eleven touches a game. That's, you know, I wish I was earning that money for doing, uh, you know, so little. 
you can extend that out to other Lansbury's of this world. You know, they're on the similar money, but it's the length of contracts as well. That's, you know, Bree, another one. Just to finish on the, the, the Hogan, so why are you getting this player if you don't know how you're going to play him? Same with McCormack. Why are you getting McCormack? Because it didn't seem like De Matteo had knew where he was going to play him. No. We don't play a way to accommodate Hogan. The way that Steve Bruce plays, you need a target man up there, and he hasn't actually got one apart from Kiernan Davis. Kiernan Davis is the only one who's been able to play successfully uh, where you lump the ball up, and he actually uh, keeps it and holds it up for the midfield to join him. I mean, Louis Scriban was, you know, it was uh, went missing in the final, as he has done in a few games, but it's not really down to him. I mean, that game against Middlesbrough, the uh, the second leg, People were calling him out in, you know, in the stands. But he said, "Look, you know, you, you, and the guy sitting sitting next to me." I said, "Well, it's not his fault. He's completely isolated because we don't actually play in a way that can incorporate him." But we were stockpiling players, Bruce. Uh, that January window, where how many do you buy? About six or seven permanent signings, mm-hmm. and o- only. And this was going to be the future. You know, they were getting stuck in there because they wanted to build a team, and this was meant to be the backbone of Villa for the next few years. And only one of those players, Conor Huran, actually was in the first eleven for the playoff final. Mm-hmm. So they were essentially stockpiling players. And you know, I've spoken to Steve Round at uh, one of these fan consultation group meetings, and I said to him, "I said, are you essentially just going around?" bullying other championship clubs, for want of a better word, uh, and buying their best players. And he said, well, if we're in a position to bully them, to get out of this division, we'll, we'll bully them. And this is your Lansbury's, this is your Hurahans, this is your Hogan's, the best players of those teams. Mm. And we're just, just yeah. stockpiling players without really... We've approached it, well, he's, he's the best of that team, he's the best of that team, put them together, they'll be a great team. It doesn't really work like that. And the worry is that by doing so, that we've 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 not just created a liability financially, but we've created a liability in our squad. We haven't actually we we never built the sustained challenge that we no. that we've talked about for two seasons, and we didn't do it over two seasons. I think we looked a team at times, but as you as you rightly pointed out, that it counted for little when when we really needed it. That stands to be decimated. I think that we've seen already through the the loan departures that that changes the dynamic yeah. of the squad straight away. That the the released players and it's an old squad. This is short termism, you know, it's ridiculous mm. short termism. We'll get back to the uh, the financial meltdown, but just uh, this this isn't a structured podcast. We we didn't really do a plan because uh, it's such a mess. The club that we might as well do a podcast to uh, as a homage <laughs> to mirror it. <laughs> to mirror it. Uh, if you have a decision, Bruce, would you let him go? Would we be better off getting rid of him now? Oh, it's a tough question. Uh, if you'd have asked me immediately after the after the playoff final, and and I I've been quite samey with Bruce that I though he's frustrated me at times. I don't think all of the failings have been his. You know, I think there've been some players that have have let him down at times, but I do think a lot of the problems on the pitch have been caused by his, despite his vast experience, some quite glaring tactical naivety or stubbornness. I'm still not undecided on that. Yeah. If if another club came in for him, I think given where we're at in terms of the changeover of personnel at the club, it's probably the best time now if he were to go. My my worry would be for Villa at the moment, given given what I'm seeing in terms of financial control and decision making, would I trust those in well the remaining chairman, I should say, to to make a call on manager, given that he thought that Di Matteo was yeah. <laughs> Di Matteo was the man. That would be my biggest concern, not losing Bruce. And and it's it sounds like 
an easy cop out, and, and I suppose to a degree is who would we get in? Who would we attract to Aston Villa right now? Well, as it's, well, it's not that. It's also who will get us out of this mess. And that's the next thing, isn't it? That if you, assuming you could get the candidate you wanted to enter into what has to be very unpredictable, you know, the 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 wiser commentators are, are correctly saying at the moment as well that. You're getting a bit of positive PR out of the club by saying they've met the immediate liability, but we're far from out of the woods. Yeah. You know, we're not in a, you know, we're into the track. We should be preparing for the new season now. We should be. Yeah. That's what I was going to say about Bruce is uh, if you have to make a decision, if you're going to replace Bruce, it has to be a, a manager that you know mm. will do as good as Bruce, if not better, but also a a manager who has a clear vision of uh, what Villa is mm. going to be in the long term and, and to get them kind of playing that way almost like straight away. And I have to say, are you clear on what the club's vision is? No, that's, that's what I'm saying because... I'm not. We're, we're not talking about hindsight, for example, on Di Matteo because I was dubious from the start and again I wrote articles about saying, and I think we mentioned it on this podcast, this is a guy that they're getting in who has never completed a second year at any club that he's managed. Mm. So what's... You know, what does that say about the guy and uh, what does that say about the potential of him being the man to lead Villa to the Holy Land and uh, beyond under our new uh, you know, Chinese owner? Mm. Not a lot. And then Bruce comes in and, you know, this is a desperate call. I mean, the financial situation almost uh, leads you to understand why they suddenly backtracked on this. Oh, yes, uh, Villa, Villa engine, uh, you know, new way of playing, new identity. And then they thought, oh, shit, we better get Bruce in. Yeah. Because at least we've, that will give us, you know, better odds of going up. Well, you can't preach a mantra, mantra of this, of the Villa engine or whatever, you know, and this idea of one club philosophy and then appoint a, a football manager with quite distinct, a distinct way and yeah. of working. That you know, it's easy to say a football manager is a dinosaur and whatnot, but Bruce has had success places and has done his job well. You know, he's also had failures, and I think last season would have to count as a failure in terms of his managerial career, given the level of results. I mean, I'm not being patronising, but he's used to teams that are, let's say they're underdogs, like Blues, Mm -hmm. Hull, and they set up to grind results because their resources are not as good as the teams they normally play. I mean, especially when these teams are in the Premier League. Now, Newcastle, for example, when they came down to the Championship, they just, if you looked at their maths, the way they spent, the difference is, I mean, we behaved like a Premier League club while we're in the championship, but we didn't play like one. Now, Newcastle played like a Premier League club, and I, I don't mean like played amazingly. That was their attitude. We are a Premier League club. We're coming to play these championship teams. And that was their attitude. And sometimes they lost, but they but they always made, you know, they, they would win six games and then they would lose two and then they'd win the next 10 games and then they'd lose one or two, whatever. But they just attacked and they were, let's say, forward thinking, so yeah. when they uh, came to town, teams yeah. thought, shit, here's, a, here's that team that just dropped out of the Premier League. I bet they're good. Well, we quickly got a reputation for trying to tighten up at the back and showing our opposition far too much respect. Newcastle last season and Wolves this season did did things that we we simply haven't done the whole time we've been in the Championship. When they lost a game, they then went and won 3-4-5. I think Newcastle went on some ridiculous 15-game winning yeah. run after some alleged blip. Two other, two other glaring things for me in Wolves and Newcastle, similar. Far more modern, cultured managers leading. I mean, Rafa Benitez is one of the yeah. top European managers parking all the 
the, the jokes aside. And uh, never had any uh, championship promotion experience, Rafa. <laughs> Uh, well, he, that's the championship. That's the championship. But <laughs> yeah, the thing is, you know, he'd 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 won the European yeah. Cup for God's sake and and leagues, and uh, Bruce hasn't you know done any of that. And that's the thing. There's this different attitude. We, he talks a lot about. I mean, there's a classic quote I saw in the last few days about uh, we were paying Lansbury and that lot, you know, these inflated wages because they have to deal with playing for Aston Villa. No, you, you're paying those wages so they're on an easy wicket, so they don't have to mm. play. Because they can just sit on the bench and uh, it can work the other way where it demotivates players because they look at the length of their contract and if they're not quite, you know, if they're battling, they know they've got a battle to get in uh, into the first 11 and once they start getting frozen out for a little bit, they're like, well, I'm all right, Jack. No, it's the, the Mika Richards rule. Exactly. These players should be coming to Villa for the actual privilege of playing for Villa. So, you know, you don't have to pay them an extra 8000 a week if they can't play, you know, if the pressure of playing for Aston Villa is too much, why the hell did you buy them in the first place? Well, what do these players get into football for? I mean, it, it's one of those modernisms. Bruce I, I don't, coming up with I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't buy it. I'm sure some players, there's a stepping up issue. and But also, I think as part of that, there has to be, there'd be in a period of adapting for any football. I, I get it if you're coming from a relatively small football club, not but wanting to patronise smaller football clubs and you're stepping into an arena like like Villa Park or even an LM, you know, LM Roads and place, you know, they're, they're big, big historic football clubs. But I completely agree with what you're saying. Just, you know, you're going to pay a premium as a club where sometimes, yes, you come down with more money and yada, yada, yada. But you've got the benefit of actually being able to pick the best. Yeah. And it was it was going to be my final point regarding Newcastle. Newcastle, the only other team who've had a larger wage bill in the uh, in the championship than us. Uh, it was just better spent. And that's yeah. the long and short of it. That uh, you know, Wolves' wage bill, I wouldn't imagine. Well, I, I, do you know what? I'd be interested to compare Wolves's Wolves's wage bill. You know, Cardiff went up with nine million pound in the bank. So that yeah. <laughs> you know, th- th- there's ways of doing this. You know, Warnock's yeah. not a dinosaur suddenly, is he? No, exactly. And uh, Warnock started uh, in the same week as Bruce did and yes, indeed. completely outperformed him, finished yeah. above him both times. And he actually started off below Villa as well in that week that he took over. He did, he did. And hardly spent a dime compared to uh, what, what Villa did. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But to use the Lansbury example, he's fine playing for a double European champions uh, winner and mm. then 
plays very well at Villa Park <laughs> when he's playing for them. In front of that, in that massive stadium. <laughs> yeah, in that scary stadium that we're going to have to pay him extra money because he might, you know, he, the, you know, it might be too much for him to shoulder. I mean, what the fuck is he talking about? Why, why is the manager building up all the teams that we're playing before the game? Even though they haven't won away when they're coming to Villa Park, but they haven't won away all season, like Millwall, I remember, and it was nil-nil. Now, I, I, I don't get that. If I they haven't won away, then the statement before game should be like, we're, we're very good at Villa Park and we should be winning this game and, you know, Millwall aren't going to fancy this trip. Do what Newcastle did, just blitz teams. Well, they, they, they did have an arrogance and a swagger, and a, you don't need the arrogance to the extent where, to the extent where you, you know, you're turning up just expecting to win, because I think that no. was perhaps, that was our undoing to some degree in some games. But that was later on, yeah. Mm. I, I think it's more a case of actually having the belief that you've you've put together, the belief in the coaching and the, the quality across the team, a genuine team, rather than individuals who, you know, have, have they bought into the fact that, you're a Premier League club that's been relegated and you're going somewhere, you know, what, what's your ambition? Because you can be a small club and be ambitious. You know, you Burnley yeah. are in Europe this season. You know, yeah. we've gone to them with the begging bowl, how the, how the tide has turned. And that's proof to me that through being organised, being, you know, financially prudent, you know, Huddersfield are £350 million better off for one season in the Premier League. Yeah. You know, that's that's not only the distance that they've travelled in such a short space of time, but it's the gulf that's now opening up between us and football clubs who've had far less resource at their disposal to get where they are now. That's the alarming thing. Yeah, because as we said at the time, only Aston Villa would pick the worst. They'd actually wait a couple of seasons. We could have got (laughs) relegated a bit earlier, but we'll wait for the season, which at the moment, in terms of football history, is the worst season to have got relegated yeah. just yeah. on the eve of uh, the biggest rise in yeah. Sky TV rights, Premier League TV rights money. And so that gulf, because of that rise, that gulf increases quicker. Huddersfields, Burnleys become financially richer than Villa mm-hmm. in, in a massive way. So if you don't get up in two seasons... If you ever do get up again, and it, it is an if, then uh, you know we could be playing Burnley in their uh, gold-plated twenty thousand stadium, and we'll have ours falling apart by that well, we're time. In this, we find ourselves in this bizarre, surreal world all of a sudden, where and uh, just linking it back into our financial difficulties, that we're, we're no longer asset rich in terms of footballers either. I think there's there's probably two or three who could make the step up to the Premier League. The obvious yeah. one, Grealish potentially. And we should underline this as a point because you're completely right about this in terms of all the loans that have come in have obviously gone mm-hmm. out, but we've bought a lot of people. Uh, there's two types, really. There's the ones that are, let's say, off to the glue factory next. Uh, <laughs> Yedinax. It's the Villa Yedinax, Park acid we- bath, actually. Do you mind? <laughs> Yedinax, your Whelan's mid-30s, you know, end of career. And then you, we've got the ones that your Hogan's your Lansbury's on such good wages and long-term contracts that I would be very, very surprised, A, if they get a better wage anywhere else and if we'll ever sell them. Well, and sell them for anything near the... I'll give you... Yeah, here's, exactly. here's one for you. I mean, £15 million pounds for, for Jonathan Codger. Hmm. Yeah, McCormack, that Hogan. Was 12 and that was 10, was it? Yeah, 11, let, I mean, it's almost it's... almost forty million all in on those three strikers, and I think you would be lucky to sell them combined for like ten. Would you say? Well, you, like twelve, you, shall we say? I mean, talk <laughs> talk. Take it as true value. We, we've overpaid, and they're not as good, and they've not yeah. progressed. If anything, they've gone backwards. Some of them. 
yeah. and then you frame it in the context now with the financial situation we we we're over a barrel so you know if we're in the situation now where we we weren't liquid enough we had nothing we didn't have two million pounds we couldn't raise it that's very concerning and that tells me what else have we loaned against as well? You know, is it, if a Jack Grealish is worth 30 million, I don't think any footballer's worth 30 million, by the way. But if yeah. Jack Grealish is worth 30 million and insert, you know, these are, the tabloids are already linking him to Spurs, Leicester, Newcastle, insert name of club. They offer 20 million or 15 million. Yeah. And, and we've got to deliver on a, you know, in the short term. I hope yeah. it doesn't get to that. And I hope that, <laughs> here's, here's the catch 22 for you. Would we? Would you rather would the club were raising expensive financing in the background to keep itself solvent? Or would you rather we, we kept ourselves solvent by selling the crown jewels? It's a quandary for, for anyone to ponder, I think. But the thing is, we haven't actually got any crown jewels beyond, let's say, Grealish and Chester. Which was the point. I, mean, I said, I think at the start of what I was saying, I think I said we've got three players. I'm, I was struggling to think of the third as it came out of my mouth. Uh, beyond Chester. Yeah. Hmm. Bjarnason. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just hope he has a good, a good four Very five good games World at Cup. the. Uh, I'm the World hoping Cup. Iceland win the World Cup and he scores a hat trick in the final. <laughs> then he'll be off to AC Milan for sixty million, and then everything will be fine again. <laughs> Uh, ridiculously, that probably needs to happen. <laughs> to, to be honest with you, that's about the only way we're going to get out of this mess in a in a swift manner. Put it that way. Well, considering our liabilities and that we need forty million to comply with FFP, at least we'll break even. <laughs> <laughs> Negatron alert! Defcon One, Chinese mismanagement of Aston Villa Football Club. Get nuclear codes off Trump. Get nuclear codes off Trump. <laughs> Well, this is the thing. This is no. This is not easy to get out. <laughs> it's from. really not. It's a horror show, man. Who's going to buy? I mean, like, an, they talk about uh, American companies that kind of pick up football clubs. They kind of wait for them to uh, go bust first. Well, it's interesting. There's a there's an investor lurking, isn't there? If you believe the yeah, it's just, is he waiting to pick over the remains? There was a few last time, and you so you, you kind of got a feel for when something's just rumours, and mm. uh, you know when something real is actually uh, materialising. But this isn't this isn't a quick thing. I mean, uh, just going back to the crown jewels, we have Chester and Grealish, and as you say, the only way that Grealish fee gets inflated is if you've got a bidding war. Yeah. And Grealish actually wants to go to all of the clubs in, involved in the bidding war. I think it's staggering that we've gone from, uh, I mean, the, the, the days leading up to the playoff final where there was a genuine, this this would not have happened. And I don't know whether it's a good thing that it possibly has happened because I would have worried, what would we have done if we'd have got promoted? Because would, would we have been cautious or would we have been as gung-ho with with how we're going about this and I'm not sure whether perversely this could be one of the best things to happen to us because it will hopefully bring some sanity back to things because it can't, it couldn't have continued well it obviously can't continue but this is no way to run a football club and we, we there'll be there'll be more pain here and I, I noticed some stuff in the press saying Grealish uh, you know reportedly wants to stay in the Midlands and yada 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 and this is football if if a club wants yeah. wants a player that they you know Man, Man United can't hold on to their best players Liverpool can't hold on to their best players if someone wants to take them and they're bigger and they've got more money they will yeah there's there's also a fallacy that I want to uh, knock on their head mm. uh, here some fans seem to think that uh, okay you sell Grealish I mean there's a lot of fans so willing to get rid of Grealish 
they seem to be on Tony Zai's side more than they are Aston Villa's, mm. which makes me mad. The, the amount of people go, oh, yeah, we can sell Grealish for 40 million. That was more important that a club are solvent, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You think, well, what happens if you just throw in Grealish into the fire? Mm. And then we're still in the same position mm. and we don't go you know, anywhere with it. At least if you somehow keep hold of Grealish, yeah. you've got a chance next season. There seems to be this fallacy that you know, we get rid of all these players and then our, our super talented under-23 squad will lift us up to glory. Well, mm. the newsflash about these under-23 under team, uh, the big newsflash is, because it gets hyped up on social media and people don't really read into the context or they don't actually go and watch the team. Which we have done. You more than me. You more than me, admittedly. Yeah, or they don't contemplate the history of youth players getting into professional teams. That under-23 team, I mean, other people are saying, oh yeah, one of the best under-23 teams in, in the in the country. And you think, hang on a minute, they're a second-tier team. Yeah. They, they failed in the playoffs the last few seasons. Well, they didn't even get in the playoffs last season, but the season before they did. Uh, this season just gone, they they obviously did. There's 12 teams above them in the in the Premier League One. They're in Premier League Two. So yes, they won a cup, but in 2013, Aston Villa had one of the best youth teams in Europe, and indeed they won the next gen tournament, beating Chelsea in the final, and obviously beat a few of the uh, decent European sides on the way. Now out of that team, and this that team was much better than the one we have now. Jack Grealish is the only player still at Aston Villa making any moves the rest if you ask me what who were the most successful players from that team that were the best youth team in europe callum robinson preston and sammy carruthers who was the captain of the uh the next gen winning last team pissing uh, in a pine glass at cheltenham (laughs) (laughs) yeah apart from that he's he's kind of a bit player squad player for sheffield united the rest are either in scotland ireland or in the lower leagues so that kind of tells you uh, how many of the homegrown youth players actually kind of really make it. I mean, you know, when we're in the Premier League, Luke Moore popped up and then disappeared. I was just thinking back to the FA Youth Cup winning team, actually, because that's that's the other great example, isn't it, of how it was the team yeah. that beat the, the Everton team featuring Rooney, a very young Wayne Rooney. Um, I think it had, was it maybe Kieran Clark? I think was perhaps one of the players to graduate, perhaps the Moore brothers. Well, they, yeah. certainly Luke Moore. I think the, you're making a very valuable point, and it's one of the ones that there's two players at the moment who their names get banded around, often at times of desperation or when uh, one of the more senior players isn't doing very well. I think it was, one was Hepburn Murphy, who's chronically injured, yeah. held the club to ransom over a contract. People forget that. Yeah. And actually, when I've seen him, not not been overly wowed. The other one is O'Hare, who who looks to have bags of talent, but reminds me very much of a very young Jack Grealish. There's a development cycle there that you've yeah. you've got to allow to happen. And do they do they develop into the next Grealish, or do they, as you say, they they just fade and that's well, they don't develop that next level. Yeah, I mean the the defender's not too bad, Suleiman. But again, he's you know he's a couple of seasons off, and and he hasn't got the size, and O'Hare hasn't got the size at the moment. I mean, I think Grealish is a you know bigger player than. Uh, you O'Hare. can see the physical development in a Grealish over the last two seasons. That yeah, you know that's that's not just him, especially that's not just the last him maturing season. physically. That's that's some serious gym time as well. And you know, obviously, when you go and see the under twenty threes, it's a, it's a different it sure product, is, yeah. and you see the games, and then you see how their performances translate to social media. And you're like, it's uh, hmm, interesting. Yes, it's creative <laughs> license is sometimes it's, applied. I think it's. It sounds like God, that O'Hare sounds like Pele <laughs> on Twitter, but uh, in real life, uh, we're not saying he's bad. We're just saying uh, there's overhype here, and 
it's just bull, it's bullshit basically we are not going to it's not going to be the Brucey babes Chester and then suddenly have the <laughs> Brucey babes roar us <laughs> back but where do, where does this so where, where, you know you look where we are now I mean where where does this leave us now we're realistically a, a short summer away from our third season in the championship we, we we can't possibly have a transfer policy of any description in place at the moment surely <laughs> Yeah, have we got anything left to borrow against? I mean, this this is a defining season, and it's very, very concerning that we're approaching it in such bad shape for me. That, as I say, we should be sat on the beach retweeting stupid links to stupid players again. This is a very unwanted, but actually very troubling thing. That this is a desperate cycle of financial trouble. We need to get out of pretty quickly for me. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look good. At the end of the day, there was just so much flab yeah. about the. Yeah. The way this business of uh, Aston Villa has operated, Bruce should have had a leaner squad, but a team playing in a, let's say, a more uh, fitting way. Aston Villa should be coming to any championship away ground, and the team should be thinking, should it's Aston Villa, as Newcastle approached it, as we've already said. You know, people say, well, in the championship, it's, you know, it's, there's no time to be arrogant, but it, it, I think people know what we're talking about. So in terms of the future, it's uh, two weeks of seeing how this plays out. Mm. I've been told by one person in particular to expect madness, and I think that's... I like uh, madness. I like that. Uh, if there's one thing with this, with these kinds of incidents, especially with the fallout from it, is enough seems to be making the mainstream press, and there's enough sources knocking around who are just, I think, not only feel that people need to know, but absolutely flabbergasted. Like us, and I'm sure like many Villa fans, yeah. quite how bad it is. So in terms of Dr. Tony, what's the future for him? Do you want him at the club come the start of the season? I'm interested to see what happens on uh, on Company's House the next few days. Uh, jury's out on everyone for me at the moment. There's something going on with the filings around Recon and, and, and Aston Villa Football Club Limited. It seems to be to do with shares. Yeah, people would have seen that tweet. Obviously, Colin Moore's been speaking to the the mm. Dr. Tony uh, via Twitter. He's obviously told him there's 15 million loan, but somebody proposed that these uh, movements at Companies House may be that 50 million is some kind of share uh, incentive. There's, there's basically shares involved in that, so it's not actually a loan. don't know. There's a couple of ways of looking at it, is, is my reading, is that it depends where the money's coming from. And is it a loan that's been pumped in? I think if there's going to be some sort of share issue, who's that money? Who's it going to be owned by? Who? who how's it going to be distributed? Does yeah. it's interesting because obviously the the recon group is the is the hundred percent shareholder at the moment. So you would have thought if yeah. money's coming in and being in, and uh, injected into the club, well, you wouldn't need a new share issue because you've got your you've got your recon controlling interest there. You just flood the money in. I think it's a watch this space, and and that's why the jury's out for me. That it's all well and good investment arriving into the club, but uh, you know if that's fifty million pounds, what what's the true cost of that? You know that's like saying well we sold Amavi for for eight million pounds, but we didn't really, you know. Uh, and, and again, it's yeah. the same with the immediate six million loan. Well, it's it, actually it's two million immediately and four from China that is, and four million loaned from elsewhere. That's just to get us through the week. I need more facts. I think I need more transparency from the chairman, and I think that he, where he lost a lot of face yeah. again, something that's apparently very important to him is that his communication. You look at the statement that he put out after the defeat to to Fulham. It's 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 very cryptic at the time, and it makes a bit of sense now. But he's been absent since as well. Yeah. Really. Couple of tweets. That's not an acceptable way to be dealing with a crisis, especially when you're in charge and 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 uh, 
No, and 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 you know the statement about Wyness being suspended. You know these these kind of three sentence statements. Really, I mean, a they're buying time, but b you need to give a little bit more context because you just fuel in the fire. I mean, in the in the media and you know through supporters and you know obviously the social media nowadays that if you can cut off a few avenues so people you know don't spread the fire further, then you should do so a little bit more context. I think the the one final bit I'd tag on to the end of that too is that. that as a football club, this eroded, what I'm about to say, under Lerner to some degree, is that, that Villa have always had good stature for having a degree of class about them and a professionalism. And yeah, I think you gone. know where I'm coming from. That that's that goodwill yeah. is eroded. And in football, you can be a laughingstock because you, you get a hammer in now and then or you get relegated out of a division as we did. But when you start to lose, when other fans are looking at your club and starting to say, fucking hell, you're a bit tin pot. And making comparisons to Portsmouth yeah. and Leeds, irrelevant of how things pan out. I mean, we, the word I suppose the easy the easy word to say is that it's embarrassing, but it's not something that ever you know. My supporting yeah. time with Aston Villa, that you have embarrassing moments, you have embarrassing Saturdays, as I've just said. But this is a a huge embarrassment that will take a lot of recovery from because essentially we haven't been paying our bills and. Given the amount of money that we had coming into the club and the waste that apparently has been going on, yeah. and the dubious financial transactions that surround it, and what underpin our football club, I think it it puts us about as far to the bottom as possible. Yeah, and this is—I mean, this is why I use the obviously the Wizard of Oz uh, <laughs> analogy that. at the start of the show, which two years ago, and I got that picture designed up Tony Shaw as the Wizard of Oz. Because the whole premise of the Wizard of Oz is in lo- Oz, uh, this wizard is all powerful and promises this and promises that. And, you know, we've had our Wizard of uh, Shy promising, uh, <laughs> or shite, should I say, promising us Champions League. And, oh, why, why not? Why just one Champions League? Maybe we win it and win it again. Uh, also that, you know, we're going to be one of the top three clubs in the world. And when I ask him a question about what he needs to see to trigger the expansion plans, uh, rebuilding of the North Stand and, you know, potentially getting up to 50,000, he, he said, oh, uh, uh, why why 50,000, maybe 60,000, maybe 80,000. And you think everything this guy says is exaggerated and hyperbole. And it's obviously something... It's a mantra of his to be positive, positive, super positive, <laughs> extra super positive. And just to interject, I mean, one final thing I'd tag onto, onto that. Uh, 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 I, I loved, I loved the story that broke that broke uh, along with all this, and it sort of links to what you were saying about when when Jar was Doctor Tony was given his briefing shortly before the defeat to Fulham in the week leading up to Fulham about. <laughs> The two possible outcomes, obviously one being promotion and then which they talked it through with him first and then the second being what would happen if Villa didn't get promoted. Yeah. No one when they concluded the presentation he didn't say anything for three minutes. <laughs> I mean that system is like d- does not compute, you know, the the, the prospect of and that's the reality of where we're at, isn't it? That he didn't was he is he deluded? I don't know. Yeah, well in that first meeting when I asked him a let's say a structured question about I said over the last, like, let's say 30 years or so of supporting Aston Villa, we've seen that even when we were like the champions of Europe and the league winners, there was a certain attendance and we we are not talking like super attendances. So what has to happen like on the pitch and off the pitch to justify an expansion of Villa Park that's that's been mentioned uh, over the last few years? And, And he just sat there staring in space. 
for what must have been a good minute. So there's, you know, it's a round table. There's Tony Shah, his sidekick. There's Keith Wyness there. And then there's about eight supporter representatives. And I asked this question about, you know, what has to take place. And he just stares in front of him. For literally, everybody's like looking at each other around the table, like, you know, has he short <laughs> yeah, he's a drone. or something? You know, what's Droid. happened? And it was kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of strange. And it was like, you know, unexpected as well. And then after about a minute, Keith Wyness stepped in to save his blushes and said, uh, oh, I think this is, you know, one for me to field. No, it's not. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. This Keith, robot. It's this guy here. <laughs> Just plug him back in. But, <laughs> but then when he, but then when, you know, after Keith said whatever he said, all lies, all lies. Chinese flag. Uh, he, uh, you know, he said, why 50, uh, maybe 60, maybe maybe 80,000. And it's like, no, no way there's going to be an 80,000 Villa mm-hmm. Park in my lifetime, I don't think. Not after how those guys continued their business from that meeting onwards, put it that way. It's all good news. It's all good fun. I saw one tweet to the uh, Twitter account, which is at Aston Villa Pod. Uh, somebody saying, oh, uh, it'll all be all right. So let's not have doom and gloom. <laughs> He's talking about the show. <laughs> and uh, I think I just sent him a load of laughing emoji cons and said, you know, wake up. This is uh, bloody serious, mate. Because it is. It's, uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of people out there. It's, it's still this weird thing that Dr. Tony, they... Because they thought they loved him, they can't change like abused, their view now. Like an abused partner in a relationship, isn't it? Who who just can't, you know? It is. It is. It yeah. Can't spell it out to them. They refuse to believe it. They don't see it's wow. real. Oh well, you, you're going to find out soon enough. On that, ex- I mean, there's a bit more of a serious uh, podcast. Uh, sorry, it's a bit rambly, serious but issues, it's uh, serious issues. But also, uh, there's a lot of. Uh, well, there's been a lot of smoke and mirrors from uh, the owners, put it that way. And then also there's a lot of, we don't know how this is going yeah. to turn out in the wash. This talk of loans, talk of share issues, something's happening behind the scenes. You know that from the uh, company's house. So as every week goes by, uh, I'm sure the, the picture will change slightly. I mean, we've had, we're actually at a juncture where we literally have to just cross our fingers at the moment. Oh my goodness, it's true. It's true. Another problem is uh, to keep this podcast going, we really do need to get some more patrons on board or else we'll be going into liquidation uh, also. We're probably more solvent than the villa, actually, at this point (laughs) for the first time. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I I should just stop this whole thing, this my old man said thing straight away. This is one of the problems uh, for my old man to grow. A, you need to be in the Premier League because it's a different ball game. And uh, B, you're not going to grow your audience because uh, it's shrinking. There's a reason why you close the upper tier in the uh, Trinity end. There's a reason like when, you know, if you're playing that kind of football and you're live on TV, I can't imagine young fans around the world going, oh, yeah, I want to be a Villa fan. Oh, Villa versus Rotherham. (laughs) Our potential audience is uh, shrinking. So, you know, if if my old man said was a business, you had to close it down a long, long time ago. So we do need your support because we've been swamped by you know, the clickbait of these shitty sites and uh, how the Birmingham Mail has to do their business now. And if you like what we do, then we will do more and we'll do it better and we'll carry on being inventive. So please do support as a patron. Go to myomansaid.com and click on the, the patron link at the top. Thank you very, very much. Uh, also, we have a competition. Chinese flag. First person... To take that Chinese flag off the top of the Doug Ellis stand, <laughs> Witten Lane stand, wins two weeks in Beijing, where you'll get to stay at the Walt Recon land. Yeah. 
and uh, we'll give you a gun, <laughs> assault rifle, <laughs> and a and a free Uber to the Recon Group HQ. It's like Jurassic World, but it's just filled with like Bon Lahore yeah. and Keith Winus's carcass anyway if you can get that flag uh not get arrested maybe under the cover of night that'd probably be the best time to go anyway we'll <laughs> leave that one with you and on a final note uh please do uh, obviously review the show and subscribe and all that stuff and obviously uh, share to get the word out and tell your villa supporting friends who uh, have a sense of humor and half a brain at least <laughs> Try to get another show out uh, in the next couple of weeks, at least. Uh, actually, we're gonna we're gonna put some other shows out, different things. Uh, probably one on safe standing, and put a couple of uh, things that we've recorded before, but like uh, in a remixed kind of fashion. But until then, and until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from him. Goodbye, Snodgrass. 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 <laughs> we love you. Come back, Snodgrass. Don't leave. Don't leave Creelish. Bring Terry with you. Subliminal. Don't leave Jack. Stay. If you're listening to this, Jack, you got your headphones on and you're falling asleep. Subliminal messages. Subliminal. Stay a fella. Stay a fella. Chris Samper. Don't go anywhere. Stay, Chris. Mark Burns in goal. Mark Burns. Mark Burn, you must leave immediately. Can't we use him as collateral <laughs> as part of this payment? Can't we just. Yeah, who, who else? Do we need to send some subliminal messages. Chester. Chester, you, you just got married. Don't upset the apple cart. Stay a fella. That's the only reason she married you, because you were an Aston Villa player. Stay at Villa. Anybody else? Be honest and run for your life. Get away while you still can. Make sure Iceland win the World Cup, score a hat-trick in the final. Secure our £50 million bounty. <laughs> My old man said... We bow before you. He came to be one of us. He still wanted to wear the claret and blue. There can be only one Highlander. Who is this man you speak of? Snodgrass. for a special edition of Twitter with Fulham. 22nd of May, 2018. So, it looks like there'll be almost as many AVFC fans in the FFC end on Saturday. Reminder that those people are breaking Rule 2.2 of the FA's ticketing terms and conditions. So, if you do notice anyone that isn't singing at hashtag full volume, it's your duty to report them to the nearest steward. Health and safety notice. We can't have the white wall collapsing. Our end could be soaked in sun, as you may have seen over the weekend at the Manchester United match. Please bring enough water for your needs and get yourself sun lotioned up before leaving home. 38,000 clappers at Wembley isn't enough in my opinion. 
everybody should bring two and clap them together to make a real noise with 76,000 clappers. Hashtag full volume. Songs for Saturday. Going to Wembley. With a lot of people going who probably don't know the words to some of our songs, I thought it might be an idea to publish a song sheet that people could print off and take with them. It would take an eternity to type them all out, so please add them here. Hashtag full volume, hashtag FFC, hashtag come on you whites. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.